Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Today, we meet a dynamic young woman whose future is boundless. Her name is Heidi Williams. She's an ex-competitive rock climber, a part-time ski patroller, an outdoor enthusiast who now is a flourishing life and business coach. She recently launched Lead Taco, a lead generation agency that harnesses the power of organic conversation to gain startups 30 to 40 new leads per day. She started her own clothing company. We'll talk about that. She puts together these amazing travel videos that you'll want to check out at HeidiAnnWilliams.com. And she's another fine example of someone who's overcome dyslexia with a fervent sense of creativity and enthusiasm for life. Heidi is the definition of someone who is multi-talented, and we're thrilled she's joining us on the podcast. Congratulations on your success at a very young age in business, in in developing these social media platforms. Uh, have you always been an industrious young lady in that regard? Yeah, yeah, I think I have been. I think that's been, you know, a redeeming quality, if you will. <laughs> um, and there's this story that my parents tell when I was in preschool me and one of my good friends used to hustle and sell things all the time. And one of the things we got in big trouble for selling was imaginary friends. Because if you could imagine, we were selling something that no one could see or feel or touch or hear <laughs> until they made the purchase. So whenever we come home with buttons in our pocket or pens or other people's lunch boxes or lunches, my parents knew we were up to some more shady activity. So <laughs> shenanigans, creative say, yeah. shenanigans. Well, that, yeah. that's one of the hallmarks of, of the people I've met through this podcast, Heidi, and, and that is a creative streak that sometimes is explosive. And I want to uh, talk with you about all the activity and all the business and all the success. But before we get there, <laughs> Let's talk about childhood for Heidi. You're not that much out of childhood, quite frankly, but what was it like? And tell everybody where you grew up, first of all. Why don't we start with that? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in Colorado, Durango. And I honestly, it was, you know, I felt like I had these two lives, right? I had this amazing social life. I was close with my parents, close with my sister. I was thriving in that area. And then there was the other side of my life, which was trying to fit my personality, who I am into the traditional education system, which is, as, as many of you probably know, is far more tumultuous than that of someone who's more neuroregular. Mm -hmm. So uh, when did you first note that you had issues? Was it right out of the gate in kindergarten and first grade or beyond that? So I was diagnosed when I was in second grade. So I think my parents had suspicions before then. And it was a little bit different because I loved my teachers. You know, I always felt like I really loved them. The only issue that I had with teachers was a little bit older. But when I was younger, I didn't really have as many of the behavioral things. I think I was just loved my teachers and always felt like I wanted for them to be a friend, you know? So yeah. I think it was harder to diagnose me, but my dad, it was also the elementary school counselor at my school. So there was a lot of communication between him and my teachers that kind of allowed for this to happen. The diagnosis, I mean. How did it present itself? Was it really difficulty in reading or more writing or both for you, Heidi? So it was 
I know it was reading and then I know math was really bad. And I know that math is a little bit like less associated with dyslexia, but as all of you all probably know, dyslexia is a little bit more of a um, an umbrella statement, you know, because you know, things can vary so, so, so much person to person. So for a long time, it thought it was more of like just less being less adapted math and spelling, but I loved reading because I loved stories and I loved storytelling. So it was much more about spelling and, mm. and math. Yeah. Still <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not a math whiz either. Uh, I don't have dyslexia, but I have Mathitis, so I know exactly what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. And how did the Durango or the Colorado school system that you were in, how did they deal with, with your issues and people around you? Were you satisfied with the kind of care and attention you got? No, of course I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I loved a few of my teachers, you know, especially, you know, I was raised by my dad as an educator. My mom's a nurse. So I was really raised by people who wanted me to do well, you know, and I felt that most of my teachers wanted me to do well, but in general, I do attribute a lot of the struggle that I found in my younger educational life to being because of the poor system around specific, specifically special needs. Like I remember in elementary school and then a lot in middle school, I was completely removed from any I wasn't able to do any extracurriculars because you had to meet a certain grade point average. Mm. I wasn't allowed to do any, um, like they didn't allow me to do things like library very often or home ec or cooking or sewing or PE because that hour that you have for either PE or music or home ec or whatever that is, a SIG or something like that, a student interest group, that's what a SIG is. I would be removed from that hour and put into another classroom with all the other special education students who are there for a number of different reasons um, to get kind of like a double dip of the content that we'd be learning throughout the day. So we could kind of be, have that extra hour to relearn or pre-learn the things that we were learning throughout the day, just so we could get exposed to the content for, I don't know, 15 minute lo- minutes longer than other people, because we'd have to pack all of our topics into this one hour. So although I wasn't like the special education system failed me a lot in, in the areas of actually supporting me and giving me the skills and other special education students, the skills to do really well. Um, it, it taught me a lot of other really good things. <laughs> it's so interesting that you were sort of kept away from extracurricular stuff, including PE, because here you are today, one of the most active young people online, and (laughs) and you were able to break through. Not every student, however, does that breakthrough and and has to sort of suffer in silence a bit longer. Yeah, I I agree. And Mm. that's been a massive amount of privilege and a tons of intrinsic curiosity that I've had, you know, in my own life. But Honestly, I like I think back at that time and how much and how angry I was about being kind of feeling like I was subject to this horrible system. Um, but I also think back at the times where I had to take a ton of ownership. You know, I remember really early on, right in the beginning of middle school, I was started to lead my own IEP meetings because I could not sit there without. And, and listen to people talking about me and working, you know, a plan 
for me without my input, without my leadership. So really, honestly, like that gave me a ton of the skills that I use today and just leadership in general um, success. But I just remember feeling kind of like it was a huge process to get me from the place of feeling like the dyslexia and my learning disabilities were something that made me worse to dyslexia, my learning, learning disabilities that made me so much better. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that your parents were role models because you described them as, as being very important in your life. But were there people who you looked to, parents or others, who gave you that inspiration to, to do what you do, to break out, to say, it's about me, pay attention to me now? Any of that happen in your life early on? I mean, I think that, you know, no one, I don't remember anyone ever telling me to do that. I think it just more came to a place of me being raised by people who are really fiery and being raised by people who are really, really, um, you know, passionate, you know, my sister included my older sister. Like, I think I was really modeled how to stand up for myself, but it was up to me to learn that I needed to be, I needed to stand up for myself specifically in the special education system because no one was there specifically to keep me down, but no one was there to particularly like, they couldn't see exactly what I needed, you know, Right. Until you say something. How did things evolve for you, Heidi, in, say, high school and beyond? A lot more autonomy when you get to be in the high school years. What happened at that point for you? Yeah, so my IEP carried all the way through high school graduation. So I never kind of, like, discontinued needing an and, um, individualized education plan. I continued needing that forever. And I feel like I still... I feel like if I was still in the education system, I would need it today. So that never went away. I think my biggest transition was leaving the the traditional education system, which was like a, a public elementary school, a few different public elementary schools to a public middle school to a private charter for my high school because this private charter school barely had any students in it that had learning disabilities barely anyone that had been in special education beforehand. It was much more hands-on, much more, you know, project centric, which was really great for my brain and being someone who's like loves the idea of being really creative. So that was a huge transition for me. And I actually got to kind of go into high school and help be a part of, it was only three years old, help be a part of building this new special education program, which we ended up calling inclusion. But, you know, it was, I I took it, everyone started, excuse me, everyone started leading their own IEP meetings. Everyone was welcome there, not Mm. only students that had learning disabilities, not only students that were in SPED. So it changed from this place of being like I was a victim Mm. to being I was a little bit more of a leader because of my learning disabilities. Taking charge of your life is one of the one of the mantras that you have, uh, and you help other people do it as a life coach. I, I've been reading all about you and the work that you do, and you seem to have gravitated to something that you had personal experience with, taking charge, taking control, and not, as you say, thinking of yourself as a victim. You, you wound up in the perfect occupation. <laughs> yeah. The perfect career. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So for those of you listening, you know, like I and a you know, I, I help people start and scale businesses to their first 100K in the most automated, passive way possible. And the reason I was able to be in that position was because 
being a student with learning disabilities, you learn to be really scrappy. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if you want to do things like play sports, which I never really had the opportunity to do till I was in high school. But if you want to be someone that, you know, doesn't get completely washed out, you know, by the, the special, I mean, the special education system, you have to learn how to be really scrappy and really creative. You have to learn how to use your resources and not in ways that other students are, you know? And I remember like, we have so many stories of being in special ed. So the town that I lived in was really, really small. And so all the sped kids typically within like a few grades would be all pushed together into the same program, usually into the same class where we'd see each other every single day. So we would have so many shenanigans because, you know, students are there for a number of different reasons. Some of us were, you know, had a diagnosis. Some of us were there for behavioral reasons. Some of us were there because of due to some pretty serious poverty. So we would do things like pop open the window and sneak out to go find our notes that we accidentally left outside. Or we would, we ordered pizza when we got our ACT school, we were taking our ACT and the pizza guy walked in canceling everyone's scores. Like it was absolute craziness. And the thing I got from that time was scrappiness. Mm. So being in business, you have to learn how to be really, really, really scrappy. You have to learn how to be kind of like someone who's throwing together all the pieces of something that no one else really understands yet. You really have to learn how to be, um, yeah, untraditional. And you walk the walk as well as talk the talk because you started a business. You've started more than one. But talk about Mona, the clothing line, because that's a great example of scrappiness at a young age and seeing success. Yeah. So I was Mona was a sustainable surf slash swim and athletic line. And it scaled incredibly quickly. We started um, I started as one of four founders. And then by the end, I was just I was I was the only I was one of two founders. So we had 50% shareholds completely. And when I stepped away, it was challenging. But in the beginning, it was seeing a need that the market wasn't supplying, which was sustainable swimwear, as in swimwear that was made from ocean plastics. Yes, we still use synthetic fibers to be completely transparent, which is not good for the environment. But it was sourced from ocean plastic, Econil. So we were a part of the collection and cleaning of the ocean. Mm. And then we had little tiny pockets sewed into these bathing suits because I don't know how many times you'd be out in the water and you want to take off your wedding ring or you want to put a car key in your pocket. There were these little, little, tiny, tiny zippered pockets. Or you'd be running or climbing and you want to take something off or drop something in to your pant pocket and not want it to fall out. Mm -hmm. So we created this, we saw a need in the market. We got really scrappy about how to throw it together and we made it happen. And, and it not only happened, but you got national attention for it. I was reading about some of the the major press Vogue magazine, some really incredible Mm -hmm. feedback. And uh, there's another aspect to your life, which is so exciting. And that's your outdoor activity, the things you love to do. I was reading about you, an ex-competitive rock climber. Wow. A -hmm. part-time ski patroller. Mm -hmm. And you do yoga, you run, you exercise, and you also take people on, well, they call them virtual vacations in a sense, 
as a vlogger. What does a vlogger do in your estimation? Yeah, totally. So that's a video blog, right? A vlog. It's such a silly name, but that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) And basically what, what I do is I travel to different destinations, different locations and build these short little videos about them. And honestly, this was something that I couldn't shake. You know, this was something that I have no experience in. I was just passionate about it. I was excited about it. And I really was ready to start creating content about the places that I was traveling. Right. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I would say that, you know, video blogging about travel has been the most fun and the most joyful thing I've learned how to do in a really long time. And it was not something being someone that, you know, doesn't love hard analytical, lots of time on the computer, you know, which, you know, editing is that I was surprised that I loved it so much. A great example, by the way, of how our brains work differently, different people, different approaches, different needs. We've interviewed so many people on this podcast uh, who are in the visual arts, photography, videography, music, uh, you name it. It just goes to show you that uh, what you look like at a, as a third grader in some testing venue does not by any means suggest that you're going to just be stuck there. In fact, we want people to be inspired to get unstuck and to know that there are these incredible mountains to climb, no pun intended. So um, you have also surrounded yourself, I'm guessing, with people who are very creative and think like you. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I have been super, super lucky in in the ways that I've been able to make friends. And um, I always always talk about this all the time, that if you're needing a way to get unstuck, like you said, you should start with the people around you because your brain is going to find reasons to connect with people. You know what I mean? Like your your brain is going to pull out similarities and it's going to start to emulate whoever you're surrounded with. So if you're around with people who don't know what they want to be doing with their lives or who feel stuck, of course, have grace with them, but also look for more friends (laughs) that do know what they want, who do know what they want to create, who are excited about it because your brain is going to start to emulate what it sees to have the basic human need of connection. So if you surround yourself with people who are inspiring you, who are exciting you, then, then your brain is going to try to find things in its life, you know, in your life that will um, have, have you feel connected to them. Would you agree, and, and please elucidate on this, Heidi, that all of us, every human being that's ever lived and will live, suffers and deals with pain and struggle and all that. It's part of the human experience. You've been able to overcome so much. But are there times when the dyslexia still rears its head? And, and if so, how do you deal with it today on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so it does sometimes. And the way I've kind of worked around it specifically with spelling, because it's, it's pretty, you know, illeg- illegible, like it's, it's not something that some people can read. So I started writing with a computer when I was in middle school. Like mm-hmm. I was the only person that was, I was a part of, it was an accommodation that my school helped me with, um, was with writing with a computer. And it was an old, 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 huge clunky horrible laptop that I um, had. So I still find myself finding that that spelling and having to rely on that. Um, most of the time, the thing that hurt me the most 
from having dyslexia was never dyslexia. It was the special education system and some of the horrible teachers and the things that were said to me. So it's less about having, you know, an, an issue in my brain and more about having some trauma from the entire system that I feel like I deal with. In, interesting. And, and we're not talking 50 years ago because you're very young. We're talking, what, 15, 18, 20 yeah. years? Right. So yeah. so there are still pockets and places where we need to make improvement and, and sort of move Absolutely. through this. I also wanted to talk to you about your ability to utilize the social media platforms that are out there and why it's so exciting. And you can comment on this to be your age and your generation. No matter what the issue is with a learning disability, there's so much to conquer and reach out and find a world out there because of social media. You want to comment on that? Yeah. So there are pluses and minuses to everything and you can poke holes in anything. And so right now we're kind of in this interesting world, right? Where we know that social media can either be the worst thing for us and distract us and give us brain fog and make us sit in comparison and be unhealthy for us, or it can be a beautiful way to build community and to story tell. And what I've learned throughout everything I've ever been through is you have to choose what you want your life to look like. And that means you can choose how you see social media. So being in an age where storytelling is so promoted and authenticity is so promoted on social media, it just allows us to share these stories better. There's a lot to share on the website, and we'll tell people about that. And uh, certainly, there's so much going on now. But w- do you have any immediate plans to expand your horizons? And if so, what what's in the works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are changing all the time. Things are taking off all the time. Like one of the things that we are doing right now is working on separating two of the businesses from my personal brand. And then this other business that we have, this lead taco, which is helping people just make sales online via having a lead generation agent working for them, kind of as them on social media. But um, that's going to be a huge thing that's coming up. Working on the vlog is a huge thing that's coming up. A lot more adventure, a lot more surfing in the future. Um, We have a few more things that are in the works that are still a little bit secretive. So if you guys want to pop on over to social media and start paying attention, um, you'll start to see some new things coming out and some hints dropping pretty soon. Well, you've got a a full boat and a very busy schedule, but uh, you reached out to us. And I think that's important to note that you wanted to tell a bit of your story. And that's what this podcast does. It tells the stories of people who have dealt with dyslexia and are doing incredible things. And you are certainly doing incredible things. And I might add that, uh, the videos that you're doing, the vlogs, are, are so well produced. I mean, it's not just you saying, hi, I'm here on the beach. <laughs> it's beautifully shot, beautifully produced. Uh, I'm in the business, so I can tell people this is, uh, this is A1 material. So congratulations to you. Thank you. It means a lot because it does not feel beautifully produced sometimes. Sometimes it feels like I'm sitting in a corner with my hoodie on and headphones in. So it, it means a lot to have um, to have somebody appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, so very, you. very well done. And final question for me and a, and a request for a comment, and we like to do this at the end, is advice and words of wisdom to those either parents out there, teachers out there, or young people, young people particularly who are 
struggling a bit with dyslexia or other learning disabilities, what advice would you like to offer? Tell people what you need, you know, and, and if you're a parent or a teacher, ask what they need and really start to see your students as dyslexia or even any, you know, like uncharted learning disability or anything that you don't, you feel like is putting a student in special education instead of trying to figure out what they need, just work on empowering them and firing them up to, to share what they need. Cause they'll tell you, they just have to know that they'll be listened to. So really start trying to plant those seeds of being a leader in them, because that's going to be the thing that changes their life after they graduate. And that's going to be the thing that um, allows everyone to have a smooth and fulfilling education. Fine words from a very fine young woman who's doing great things. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, wherever you may be in some exotic locale, I know you're busy working, (laughs) thinking and helping people. Thank you. And uh, God bless. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Heidi Williams. Her website is Heidi Ann Williams, spelled H-E-I-D-I, Ann is A-N-N, Williams, HeidiAnnWilliams.com. The website has access to all of her other social media portals, and she's a lady on the move, HeidiAnnWilliams.com. And thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please feel free to contact us at our new web address, DyslexicsWanted.org. That's DyslexicsWanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. We want to share your story. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.